0: And welcome to the Creative Writers Tool Belt. My guest on this episode will need no introduction for many of you. He is the author Peter F. Hamilton. Peter is one of the foremost science fiction writers in the world today and is well known for his epic space opera series, although he has also written a children's fantasy novel called The Queen of Dreams. He's been writing for 30 years now and sold his first story to Fear magazine back in 1988, and his first novel in 1993. And his website rather delightfully tells us that he has been steadily productive since then, which (laughs) indeed he has. Um, By my reckoning, he has published 17 books, including his Confederation Handbook, and number 18 will be out later this year. That's The Night Without Stars, which will be the concluding instalment of the Chronicles of the Fallers. So Peter, it's great to have you as my guest on the podcast. Welcome to the Creative Writers belt oh,
1: Thank you for
0: having me. So I want to start with a question that I ask pretty much everybody that I have as a guest. What did you read as a child and what were the sort of formative works of art, thinking about maybe TV and film and things like that, on your life when you were growing up?
1: Well, going back into, into the real start of childhood, it was stuff like Enid Blyton. And Biggles, of course. Biggles was a big influence, uh, sort of seven to ten years old. Uh, I, I think he's not terribly politically correct <laughs> these days. But, um, yes, they were certainly the, the, kind of adventures I was getting into. Then leading on to stuff like Alistair MacLean in my, my early teens before I, I found the science fiction shelf in the library.
0: And uh, what, what sort of science fiction work was, was on that shelf when you got there?
1: Um, it was, it was the old classics. It was, um, Clark, asimov heinlein those ones which which was all there was out in the in the early 70s mid 70s Mm. i think mid to late 70s stuff like niven started Mm. to come over to the to these shores i'm going back a long way trying to think now but it was (laughs) it was certainly you know the basic ones that everybody read of my generation
0: yeah You, you said that you always wanted uh to be a writer and especially science fiction what 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 do you think it was that inspired you, and I guess a relatively early age, to go in that route?
1: Well, I don't know if that I always wanted to be. I always had the idea that I might like to try and be one. <laughs> um, there's, there's a big difference there. Yeah. It's because, like I say, when I, when I found the science fiction shelf, I, I, I grew up in, in Rutland, which is, is very lovely. I still live here. But back in the 70s, it, it was not much to do. So when I found the, the science fiction shelf in the library, um, that was my escape route out. Mm. The traditional thing of science fiction is it is, it is at a very fundamental level, escapism. Um, and you could, you could leave Rutland in the seventies and go into outer space and have adventures and explore other cultures and see the way other people live. And that was a huge influence on me. Just that, that possibility of going somewhere else mm. while you're sitting in your bedroom. That was what inspired me to say, if I give writing a go, it was never going to be anything else other than science fiction that I write because it, it held that fascination and interest for me and, and, and a love which has continued.
0: And thinking about the stories, uh, the work that you do now, how do your stories come to you? Is it is it characters first? Is it plot first? Is it a mixture of things? How, how do these things take form with you?
1: It's the idea. And of course, that's, that's the classic question of where do you get your ideas from, which we all get asked and is impossible to answer. But if I have an idea, then I can build from that. You, you start with the original idea. You think, okay, what kind of story is that going to fit? Which gives you the notion of plot. And then if you've got a plot, you've got to set it somewhere. And if you've got to set it somewhere, who lives in that place? And from that point on, it's, it's a kind of organic process of, of building all these things together and seeing them entwine if you like the you know the world which produces that kind of people and that kind of society and and it just builds from that
0: now i want to just think about characters for a moment because i know that you've said that some of your favorite characters from your work are the ones who are least like you and <laughs> the example that you gave uh, when i heard you speak was Gore yes so how do you create these characters and, and what what is it that attracts you to them do you think
1: I always call it being allowed to let your inner demon loose, Um, (laughs) certainly with somebody like Gore or or the, the blatant bad guys who would just do the opposite of what I would do in any circumstance which is such fun to do and the the other thing of course is that you you cannot have every character speaking with your voice everybody is different to everybody else nobody thinks they are the bad guy um they all have a reason for doing what they're doing and to them it's a perfectly good reason and you have to get inside their head and understand their thought processes which is which is an interesting way of of going about it it's i think i feel it adds authenticity to the to the story you you just can't have um a bland world one of the great rages of of early science fiction was everything was a monoculture Mm. and i think we've moved on from that we know that that isn't the the case anymore
0: when these characters start to form do you like them to be pretty much formed in terms in your mind in terms of you understanding who they are before you actually start work on the draft or do they come as as you get started
1: um, I'll have a, a basic outline of, of who they are and and kind of way they'll behave and react to things and then it, it becomes a bit of a refining process as they're pushed into to more extreme circumstances. Um so yes, they, they kind of they start off half formed, if you like, and then become fully fledged by the end of the story, by which time I then have to go back and flesh out a bit at the start.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. What I'm particularly interested in with, with the range of characters that you write are these strong, proactive female characters. Uh, and I'm thinking here particularly about uh, Araminta from the Void trilogy, Angela Tremello and, and, of course, Paula Mayo. Did you particularly enjoy creating those characters? Is there, some, is there something about creating female characters with a lot of agency that, that you like within your stories?
1: I don't see them as... Oh, I have to do that. Oh, I must have a female character here. I think again mm. they they grow organically out of out of the, the story and the development of the story. I like societies with equality, or if they're not equal, well, was it Norfolk in the Knight's Door was was very unequal.
0: Yes, yeah.
1: But the women characters can break out of this. I, I feel that's quite important to me personally. If I'm going to write about the future, I don't want it to be, you know, a throwback to, to bad old times, really. I want to show <laughs> that this is possible, um, and that we, we can grow out of, I mean, even now when we have the glass ceiling and this kind of thing, it's a lot better now than when I was growing up, but we still need mm. to work on that. And, and hopefully if science fiction can inspire anything, it can, it can maybe make a little contribution in that field.
0: Sure. Now, I was um, particularly fascinated in in the Great North Road, one of one of your books, by the development of the relationship between Angela and Colonel Elston. Um, and for those who haven't read that book this is just a slight spoiler i suppose but these these two start with a kind of mutual suspicion and hostility but that transforms over the course of the book into what i perceive as mutual respect would you agree with that analysis and what was your thinking behind it with the relationship between those two characters
1: um yes yeah, so, uh, mild hostility is not quite how i describe <laughs> it um they really don't like each other and and rightly so after what happened you know, before the book starts. Um, yes. the, the thing with, with what they had to deal with was that they were forced into this pressure cooker environment with no way out. They had to, to wind up learning how to trust each other despite what yes. had happened before. Uh, I mean, they're always at loggerheads still, but they do kind of understand each other by the end of it. And at the end of it, they, they, they do trust mm-hmm. one another. It was quite an unusual circumstance. And then, Again this is this is something that, that characters should be put through is the, the level of difficulty they undergo and the transformation that occurs in them because of this uh, mm. helping them to understand themselves and maybe understand mm. other people a bit
0: better and did that happen because of the demands of the plot that these two came together in that way or did or did you want those character arcs to do that anyway
1: um, I, again I think it was a bit of both Great North Road does deal quite a bit with uh, basically immovable immovable hostile objects. Um, and how yes. we how we deal with this, and and the way we have to come to terms with it, which is which is a mirror to life. Um, in that respect, there's a lot in in this world that we we don't like, but we have to put up with, and we have to find ways yes. of accommodating it. It's a theme throughout the book that this this mutual hostility and and hatred has to be dealt with at some level. There's no point in spending your life in a dispute with somebody, in in, in loggerheads with them. Uh, it has to has to end somehow.
0: coming, coming back to how you plan your work I mean I think you've said that actually although your work appears in trilogies you tend to think of them as one single book or one single story and these these things can be upwards of a million words and as well I think you've said it takes about six months for you just to do the planning just to do the groundwork for one of one of these is that is that correct and yes what do you do over that six months then
1: It, it is all all note making. I, I cannot go into something and just sit down with a blank computer screen and start going page one, chapter one. Um, I I can't do that. There are authors that can do that, and I envy them, and they envy me. I have to have it all settled before I start. And this is this is going back to this organic process of of growing the story, if you like, growing the plot development. Is if we're we're on a world that features quite heavily, I need to know the society. I need to know the technology level, how that affects the culture. Therefore, what kind of people will it introduce? What's the economy? What's the politics? All that has to be settled in my mind before I will start writing about it. In the old days, of course, science fiction was just about the problem. And you put the competent man in there and it was solved. And that was very nice. Today, I think we need to take to open it up a bit and take a look around and reflect the world we live in and the places that we go to. Not to a huge preachy degree, but it, it adds an element of realism that I think is essential to, to the work. So that's, that's what I spend my time doing. Even in some cases, certainly with Great North Road, going down into the, to the basic botany of the planet, which you had to because there's, there's no um, animal or insect life. Therefore, how do the plants survive? If we breathe in oxygen and breathe out carbon dioxide and the, and the plants reverse that. So what's the, what's the principle there? You can't just leave it as just plants. Um, So that's the kind of detail I I do have to go into in cases like that.
0: Now, I I think you've hinted there at the the fact that you don't just have to kind of, in terms of the research, look at the technology. Is it a broad spectrum of research that you have to do for these things?
1: To a degree, yes. I mean, a lot of it, as I say, if if you have uh, fusion power, for instance then you're not going to be worrying too much about uh, pollutants in the air. Uh, So that's kind of like the obvious side of it, that you you don't need much research on. But then how fusion power will affect the economy if you have cheap, clean energy? How will that affect the economy? Will you have runaway factories everywhere because they're so easy to run? It's it's all that kind of thing you have to take into account and and balance it all out. So it's not so much research as, as logical progression, if you like. But then you, I do need to do a bit of research to find out what the fundamentals of, of say, fusion technology are uh, and the requirements and, and that kind of thing. So the thing with the research is that you give people the confidence uh, that you do know what you're talking about and, and what you have said is correct. But you don't bore people with details. Um, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of writers tend to sort of prove they've done the research. Um, I try and avoid that. Um, I'll speak with, hopefully, with some authority. On a, on a science, mm. but um, that's about it. I don't don't want to spend pages and pages and pages going into
0: too much detail. So is it as if you are creating a framework that the, the reader will feel comfortable in? They can trust you, but you're not doing an info dump, really. You've created that environment, but you haven't gone over the top with it.
1: Hopefully, um, there's not a blatant info dump. It's not the well as you know, John, and then you <laughs> lead off into a whole great explanation yeah, yeah. of what you're, uh, you know, what they've encountered, given that it's science fiction, given that it's a world we don't know anything about. The information is there, but hopefully it sort of seeps in rather than gets right. thrown in your lap in one great lump.
0: Yeah. In my podcast, I'm just looking at the moment at the issue of setting. And I I talk about the fact that setting has to be both believable and immersive. And I think your work particularly does those two things, the settings do those two things. I'm just wondering if you've got advice for writers about, around how to create setting. How How do you create the setting which is successful for your work?
1: I'd say it is to a degree a reflection of what we see around us, unless you're going for the truly alien um the other but again that has to have a, an internal logic as far as i'm concerned uh, i mean i know some things just don't get explained like the Xanth in great north road but you can understand what's going to happen with them rather than why it happens um so I would suggest consistency is your friend. You can't have something happening which which hasn't happened before. There is no rationale for it happening. Um, keep it consistent, uh, even if that means multiple rewrites, <laughs> um, which has happened to me on more than one occasion. You
0: can see that sounds like the voice of experience there, like. <laughs>
1: Yeah, that, that would be that would be the, the experienced author telling you how to do that. Um, so yeah, just just. Aim for the consistency. Do okay. put a bit of thought into it before you start writing, be right. my advice.
0: Now, your work, to me, seems to avoid the zombie apocalypse and the dystopian future and all that, that sort of stuff. What is your view, as much as you have one, on the, on the future of mankind, and how does that inform your work?
1: Um, I'll just tell you that the book that's coming out here at the end of this year will feature an apocalypse in it. So, <laughs> <laughs> apart from that one, all the others... Um, <laughs> I I always define it as as um short-term pessimism and long-term optimism. Okay. I, I think we do have a future that has uh, great potential in it. Whether we get there intact or not mm. is another matter. <laughs> I'm sure it won't happen in the way I want it to happen as well. Uh, the kind of very easy world that that Arthur C. Clarke used to come up with, the very nice mm. worlds, I don't think that's ever going to happen. I think we're always going to have conflict and people disagreeing with each other. But I'd like to think we can we can raise the basic standard of of human race, if you like. I think from that point of view is is another encouraging aspect of science fiction, is that we do come up with with futures that are plausible and more progressive than we have today. Banks's culture novels are a great example of that, of course.
0: Yes, yeah. Um, do you think that uh, perhaps contemporary science fiction has lost some of its power to tap into the kind of raw wonder? of observing the universe of traveling into space the kind of things i think you were alluding to that appealed to you when you were younger
1: oh very much um, i'm a uh, i'm a child of the, of the space age the, the lunar landings and skylab and mm. where did my mars mission go in the late 70s <laughs> you know this 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 had quite an effect on me when i was growing up yes we were going to be out there we were going to be like the sunday supplement magazine said having our holidays on the moon <laughs> But one of the, one of the problems with the stuff I write of the far future is obviously by then space travel has to be quite easy. Yeah. I mean, we know how immensely difficult it actually is. Uh, and I think that's possibly an area mm. which not many people are writing in at, at the moment the sheer difficulty of getting across the solar system the the determination the effort that has to be made um possible exception at the moment for that would be in mcdonald's lunar series where it's quite <laughs> that's quite gritty yes um, yes and he's done it beautifully as ian always does um so yes i will i will own up to being slightly guilty about that is in that but but then it's it's necessity of, of the The worlds I write in is that these kind of things are easy and and have been solved. If I'm setting something slightly nearer to now, then the the difficulty factor would be built into that.
0: Do you think um, that the genre has to reclaim some of that anyway, notwithstanding the difficulties and notwithstanding some of the disillusionment that some people might be feeling now? Is there a sense in which that we should reclaim? that sense of wonder or that sense of awe or that sense of there's something out there that we should reach for
1: ah now you see you're talking of of genre as if it is is a monolith and it is one thing today genre is is so wide
0: this is true yeah, yeah um
1: People always talk about trends in it as if we, we all meet up and discuss what we're going to do next. It just doesn't <laughs> work like that. People come along with great ideas and, and get them out there. The kind of stuff I write, the kind of more traditional stuff, shall we say, mm-hmm. or, or more sense of wonder stuff. I think that, that's possibly lacking midterm future stories at the moment. I'm, I'm sure everyone can name them and prove me wrong, but <laughs> these things do actually come in phases. Um, some things fall in a fashion, some things fall out of fashion. I don't know what's going to come next. I don't know where we're going to go next. So um, I'll leave it at that, really. I, ironically, I can't predict the future. <laughs>
0: <laughs> in which case, I don't know whether you you have some, some answers to this next question, then. Who do you think are the influential authors, um, uh, I was going to say within the genre, but I use that term very cautiously now, and I appreciate science fiction is a broad church, isn't it? Um, yes, <laughs> Are there writers or are there voices across the whole spectrum of the genre uh, that you think we could learn from at the moment?
1: Um, I don't know about learn from. There's certainly people I enjoy reading. Okay. Um, I just mentioned one, Ian McDonald, of course.
0: Yeah. Sadly, yeah.
1: Ian Banks was quite an influence. Uh, people mm. like Al Reynolds. Then you've got Claire North coming along with with her brilliant new takes on various themes, uh, you know, touch the 15 lines of Harry August, that kind of thing, which is science fiction, but not as I write it, which is wonderful. I, I really like that kind of stuff. So, again, there's all these, these various types of genres, sort of mixing, exchanging ideas, moving apart again. I, I'm sure I've left out a whole lot of my friends that I should have mentioned, and they will no doubt mention that to me. <laughs> But everyone complains that it's, you know, it's in decline. But there are so many authors being published. I, I really don't believe that. We have such diversity, such interesting groups. Um, Justina Robson writes the most fascinating science fiction you can think of. There are a lot of us out there if you if you know where to look, if you know which, which bookcases to find in the bookshop.
0: No, I think that's true, actually. If you do go into any half-decent bookshop, there there is a real range. Oh, A yeah. huge range of work out there. Um, and a lot of people coming up with lots of different ideas and different approaches now. So it's, I think it's a good time for the, for the genre. We were talking about mixing things up and, and just, just now. And I was thinking about your void trilogy, which I think certainly has the sort of synthesis of fantasy and science fiction in it. Do you, do you, again, I'm use, going to use the word genre because I don't know what other word to <laughs> use. Do you see those two genres as being related or close to each other? I mean, how was that? How, what, what was that like for you, the experience for you as the author? Dealing with them both in that series.
1: Um, in the case of the Void trilogy, I'd say it's the, it was more of a planetary romance. It's certainly the closest I've come to writing a uh, fantasy trilogy. I'm not terribly well versed in, in certainly high fantasy and all this kind of. Again, multiple variants on the on the original genre, but yes, they they, they we sort of run in parallel and, and kick ideas back and forth between us. I don't think there's any great divide there, but yeah, the 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 Void trilogy harked back to oh. Uh, Basically back to E.E. E. Doc Smith Lensman days, which I used right. to love that. So that was one name I missed out of, of when I was reading when I was younger. I really enjoyed the old Lensman series. Um, and it, you, you, you can't write that anymore, but you can certainly do a, a modern <laughs> twist on it, which is what I did in the Void series, which was, uh, which was great fun to write.
0: What a sort of think about now you as a writer. And, uh, we, we talked about earlier the fact that you've been, you've been publishing work now for nearly 30 years. What would you say are the most important two or three lessons that you've learned about the craft as you've developed as a writer?
1: Perseverance is always the one I say to, to aspiring writers, whatever, is you have to keep writing. You, you can't learn your trade, if you like, just by sitting at a desk doing a few notes. You have to get down with the prose and keep on writing and writing and writing and slowly i if you look at the first books i wrote they're, they're fairly simple in terms of structure these days i've got the the courage if you like to to try a few things differently great north road half of that was was told in uh flashback basically and you, you've got to work out how to do that and have the confidence just to get on and do it so yeah the biggest piece of advice i can give is just keep on writing have confidence in what you write as well it's your story you came up with it don't hand it out to friends uh, and then do everything they tell you they think it needs doing to it um there's there's no such thing as, as writing by committee it's your voice
0: now i mean you mentioned voice there voice uh, different people i've spoken to have talked to me about voice how important would you say is that for you? How, how, has, how, how have you developed your voice as an author over time?
1: Again, it's down to this confidence thing that, and what themes you want to address in a book and how strongly you put them across. And I'd always like to think that, that mine comes with a little bit of a sense of humour. That's quite important for me. And th- this whole thing of, of fun and enjoyment. Yes, you can put messages in work, and, and I have done in several cases. But you've got to make it enjoyable to the reader. You've got to give the reader um, the sense of wonder, the sense of escapism, the sense of, of, of what the heck's going to happen next, the, the excitement, if you like, the puzzle. All that has to be built in. So it's, it's a voice with many tones in it.
0: Now, I mentioned earlier on that uh, your first book was published in 1993. Yes. I think we said so 26 20, 23
1: 23, years ago. 23,
0: 23 years. Not any maths, yeah. Now. Uh, I think you, you've and you've been with Pan Macmillan over all of that time
1: in the UK, correct? yes, in the
0: yes UK. Yeah. So how has that relationship worked for you? it's a 23-year relationship and still going strong, I presume. What's been the secret of your success?
1: Well, I mean, we're in the third set of offices uh, by now, <laughs> and and the editors come and go, but they're all quite. I mean, they've they've obviously come up through a, a set of learning experiences, and therefore by the time they get mm. to being chief editor they do know what they're doing editors are important um, I would never ever put my manuscript out there in the the form I send it into the publisher at the, you know at the end when I finish writing it it needs it needs somebody very dispassionate to look at it and point it not just grammar and spelling but actually point out mistakes and inconsistencies and that can't happen because this happened earlier that kind of basic stuff you do get far too close to it so the, the relationship between publisher-editor, if you like, is a very important one. Um, and I've, I have been lucky in that there's been a degree of consistency. In that they, they they have the way they do things and it seems to suit me very well.
0: So are you are you you're looking for more than just a bit of copy editing then from your editor, aren't you? I presume you do they do they help you with structure? Do they? What else do they say to you?
1: Well, hopefully we we have settled the structure by the time it goes into. <laughs> the, it's just maybe the way I've I've not explained something uh, okay. properly. It's not a question of he's got blue eyes on one page and green eyes on another. That that is just copy editing and, and me being sloppy to start with. But there are things which is obvious to me and and I haven't explained it enough for the reader. I will be caught out on stuff like that. Is this well? Why does that happen? And well, because of this. Okay. Well, you haven't said that. Um, right. So it, it is, yes. You know, for, for just for making it ease of reading, um, you you need to be edited.
0: And um, so I, I know we, we've talked about uh, the night without stars, which I think is coming out in. September. Yes. Um, but what are you working on at the moment? Can you tell us anything about what's what's kind of in the oven at the moment?
1: Yes, it's called the Salvation Sequence. It's going to be a new another trilogy, and it's set. Uh, well, it's quite confusing in that it's set a couple of hundred years in the future, and then tens of thousands of years after that.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> so
1: these two these two themes, these two strands, will will eventually wind up combined. But the route is quite an interesting one. And it's set in a completely new universe again.
0: I was going to say, it's not set in the, the, the Confederation or the Commonwealth or anything like that, then? No,
1: no. Time for okay. something new. Um, time to go on to and progress to something
0: else. Ah, okay. So that's the salvation sequence, is that what that? The what
1: salvation you're... sequence. Okay. That's what it's called at the moment, and right. everyone seems to agree on that. Okay, so, sounds good. Uh, so no input there from editors saying, you can't do that. <laughs> yes, hopefully that will become, well, I'm third of the way through writing book one now okay so that will be coming out in probably a couple of years time
0: right so sort of 2018 2019 we could see the the first of that emerging gosh yes it will be won't it (laughs) well i guess so yeah coming back to the the craft of writing then is there other advice that we haven't touched on that you would give to uh, an aspiring writer particularly perhaps an uh, aspiring science fiction writer
1: i think i'll go back mm. to what i said is try and get your basics right try and get your basic engineering right try and get your introduction right yeah. as well there's there's something of a debate in science fiction of how hard do you hit the ground running um i tend to try and lead people in quite gently i know there's a there's a school of thought that says oh we know you know immerse people straight into the strangeness and they'll be intrigued, that again goes back to how confident you are I, I tend, as I say towards the gentle introductions but again, this is not hard and fast information, it's just a way of doing things, whatever suits your voice I suppose.
0: Do you think perhaps that, not just necessarily at the start, but throughout the whole of, of a, a book, the the more strange or the more in the future perhaps, the story is the more consistent you need to be, the more confident you need to be about what you're doing
1: Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. And it's the same thing with with introducing, you know, 50 different new words.
0: <laughs> um, be
1: careful about doing that. If you're going to introduce a new word or a new concept, you have to do it in a way that the reader will follow. Sure. Okay. Um, if you put it into context by the, the third time you read a, a new word, it is obvious to you rather than leaving them for half a book trying to work out what the heck you're talking about.
0: And are there outside, perhaps outside of, of science fiction, are there other uh, genres or are there, are there other themes that you'd like to explore in your writing at some point?
1: Actually, the nearest thing I'm going to, I've got a novella coming out fairly soon, only an ebook which is what they, they, they call it, high concept. Um, it's not quite science fiction, but it is quite strange. And it's it's set here and now. So uh, that's called uh, A Window into Time, by the way. It's coming out in, in a couple of months' time, June, July time. So I, I have done the, the near future, well, the, the present, but it's got a twist in it.
0: Okay, what was the title again of that one? A Window into Time. A window yeah. into time, so we can look out for that. I'm going to, I, I want to change tack actually a little bit as well, because, um, I want to ask you a complete different question. I want to ask you about cooking. Oh, <laughs> because I have seen, I know it's a complete shift. Um, anyone who's a visitor to your Facebook page will know that there are outbreaks of cooking on there. I, I've seen, you know, picture like five or six pictures, which are or photographs, which are a sequence of, of, of things that you've cooked. Yes. Tell me, tell me about, tell me about cooking. I think there's only,
1: there's only been two or three outbreaks of that. Okay. I, I must get around to doing some more, actually. I'm on Facebook, but I don't see it as a, a relentless tool of self promotion. So I was just putting on <laughs> one evening. I was, I was doing some, what was it? It was the little apple flowers, wasn't it?
0: I think so. There was something with apples, wasn't there? Yeah.
1: And I, yeah. yes. And I thought, well, let's just take some photos and see how it goes. Had it been a complete disaster, that wouldn't have appeared, <laughs> but. As it as it happened, they they turned out rather nicely. So yes, I, I will probably. I mean, lemon lemon drizzle cake is is another thing I'm quite good at. So I might be doing that in the near future.
0: Okay, so we might we might see some we might see some of the photographs of the lemon drizzle. Cake yes, yes. On your Facebook page, we'll look forward to that. While we've been talking about, I thought of something else that I wanted to, coming back to writing now. It, most writers have a routine of some kind. They'll write in the morning or they'll write in the evening or whatever they do. Now, I know you have a family, so you have to fit around that. But what do you have? a Do you have a routine for your writing? How does that work for you?
1: I'll start in the morning and read through what I wrote yesterday, polish it up a bit so that by lunchtime, I'm back at where I left off mentally, and I can just carry on the story writing into the afternoon. That tends to change a bit, as deadlines draw near and that I'll work later into the evenings and weekends as well. But at the moment, it's, it's, it's a basic nine to five job, um, which is lovely. I get to spend time with the kids and it fits around that. I, I sometimes I will take a laptop or a iPad or if I'm traveling and we'll do a few notes and maybe a few pages when I'm going there. I don't have to sit, you know, facing northeast with the sun coming, you know, through that window and have. This music playing, it's it's not that regular. I can I can I'm fairly adaptive to where I'm writing and and when I can do it.
0: Now that's interesting because a lot of writers, talk, when they talk to me about their the routine they go through and the work they do, their approach seems to be very much that they aren't they aren't sitting on a hill waiting for inspiration. It's a it's a job and they just get on with it. They just get on with sitting at the desk and getting on with with creating writing the words you know tapping the computer sort of thing um is that is that how it is a little bit for you
1: yes but mainly because i've i've spent this this six months working out exactly what the story is so i'll, I'll have my chapter notes so when i start the day i i know where the, the character is and I know where I've got to get them to the route you take them on is is purely as you make it up on the day so there's never a case of what do I write about next what do I do next the, the plot is fairly laid down although it's got enough flexibility so if a really good idea comes along you can incorporate it so yes it it is it is quite a routine for me b- purely because I've done all the groundwork
0: and do you have um Scene summaries or chapter summaries, or that, that you work from. A...
1: Oh yes, each chapter is, is laid out fairly precisely. Like I say, I know, I know what the characters have got to do in that chapter, where they've got to be, how they interact. So yes, it it is all laid out fairly well in advance.
0: Um, just coming to the end now. A couple of a uh, couple of final questions for you. Um, how can people access your work if they're interested in seeing what you've written, what you're doing? what's the route into your work for them?
1: Um, I'd suggest the short story collections first. Um, that way you don't have to invest in a in a 300,000-word novel, because if you start that and you don't like it, then that's not good for anyone. If you like the short stories, you'll probably like the novels, I'd say. The Second Chance of Eden is all stories set in the Night's Door universe, whereas Manhattan in Reverse is, is a more varied uh, number of short stories. I'm not a short story writer. I'm not a natural short story writer. Uh, these things come along every ten years enough to collect together, which is a bit of a shame because I, I grew up reading a lot of short stories. Um, but it's not it's not something I excel at.
0: Okay, and presumably your 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 stuff is all in all the usual places, Amazon and um, yes, here, there. yeah. And do you have a website people can go to if they want to find out about you?
1: I um, you're better off looking at the Facebook page to be honest. Um, although there, there is a web if you. Type in the Unisphere. I think there's a forum there you can discuss my shortcomings on. <laughs> um, uh, but the, the the Facebook I I try and and keep people reasonably updated of what's coming out and when
0: okay and are you appearing at any event soon if people want to
1: i am i'm actually in france in leon in the second weekend of may it's the Intergalactiques, so i'm i'm after that so if you're in France, i think i think the rugby is on in leon that weekend as well <laughs> it should make for an interesting time
0: it's gonna be busy in leon then isn't it yeah yeah. Uh
1: yeah, I I'm not going I haven't been invited to any of the major conventions this year. I went to Dragon Club okay. last year, which was a a ball. Um but I do get out and about to a few conventions in a year and then I'll more than likely be doing a promotional tour October time, October November for a night without stars.
0: Okay. Do you wanna do you wanna spend a moment tell us about the night without stars since that is coming out soon anyway? Well it is
1: it's the story of Ben Video, which is told over uh, two books. Uh the first one was The Abyss Beyond Dreams. And this carries on the story of that planet 250 years later, and the, the trouble, the increasing trouble they're in there. It's also probably, never say never, going to be the last Commonwealth book. Oh, um, really? It does tie okay. up quite a lot of things at the end. Yes, well, that is seven, or eight if you count, when Youth. It's seven books. I think we've, you know, it's it's been well explored.
0: Okay, and... Th- those two books are are the Chronicles of the Fallers, aren't they? I think that's the kind of collective name for them. Yeah. The
1: Chronicles yeah. of the Fallers put together. Yes. Yeah. They. they it's a it's a nice little geology to
0: finish with. Okay. Well, one one final question before we finish: Is there anything else that you would say in terms of comments on the genre or advice to writers?
1: Um. No. I think we've pretty much covered it. Um. Have the courage to write what you want to write.
0: All right. Well, thank you very much for your time, Peter. It's been great talking to you. No, thank you. Thanks very much indeed, Peter. <laughs> okay. Thanks, Andrew. Cheers.